the Apostle John communicates to us light that is pure. It's light that has nothing to do with darkness. It's the antidote to darkness. It's the opposite, right? It's anti, it's anti-dark. It drives out the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. Focus on the pure aspect. Something is going to be pure. That light is going to be light and only light. It means that it is full of light and it's not missing. It means all of it is light, everything light. What I'd like to talk to you about with the impact of Christmas on our lives is the fullness Jesus brings to your life. I know as well as you that we're not going to live a full life of faith every calendar day till we get to next Christmas. We are going to have doubts and worries and fears and temptations and sins. We are going to struggle. We're going to wrestle. We're going to be bothered. We're going to be sad. We'll be crushed and defeated. We'll despair. We're going to feel the full gamut that life has to bring. We will not be able to hold on. And yet, this is something God works in us to to lay claim to by faith and to have with confidence in the midst of a have-not kind of life to know the God that we do have who is something pure, who is something that is an everything. It's all he is. He's light, light to us. And to do that, can we look at this verse from Romans chapter 8, verses, verse 32? And I want it stuck in front of you. You've probably read it. Like your eyes look, it looks like you're looking at me, but you probably read the verse already. But we're going to look at this verse. It is a way where after Paul has told the story of law and gospel, the two main teachings of scripture, as he's told the story of the world's sin and the world's savior in these eight chapters of Romans, he gets to the full meaning. It's the time where you finally raise your eyes up above the clouds and you live in the fullness of the sun, right? You've been on an airplane, you get up there and you live in the fullness of the sunshine, right? Pure light up there. There's no storms, there's no clouds, there's no thunder. This is what Romans 8, he gets to the fullness of what it means. In fact, Romans 8 verse 31 says, if God is for us, which is really a, because God is for us, who can be against us? And then we have these words, Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you see Christmas in the verse? He who did not spare his own son. We get a lot of gifts, perhaps under a Christmas tree. A lot of things in our hearts and minds that we're thankful for that we recognize as gifts from God. When the world, when the undeserving world, when the world of all darkness and all wickedness, it wasn't God's, it was ours. He was pure holiness. We were pure, spiritually dead. 
we were pure enemies of God and objects of wrath when the world needed God. God didn't get out a calculator and estimate how much he was willing to share. Look at the first words. When the Apostle Paul wants you to fly above the clouds, the Apostle Paul wants you to see the big picture of the fullness of life you have with God. After he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Question mark. He gets into he who. He gets into a he who. He's going to describe your God for you. The God who didn't get out the calculator. The God who didn't say, maybe I'll give them a second chance. Wouldn't you have taken a second chance at life? If you just give me a fresh start, maybe I'll make all, and then, and then I can start making deposits in this relationship with you since I've done so many withdrawals. That God didn't do that, did he? And God didn't say, I'll give you, I'll be a kind and loving father. I'll give you 70 or 80 years of life. You deserve to be struck dead. But I'll give you 70 or 80 years. You can have your time before hell. How about that? Would you have taken that? Yeah, I would have taken that. I would have taken 70 or 80 years not going to hell first, right away. He, really, really that's a misnomer. It's before time. God already had it in his heart how much he loved you. And he already knew that in the heart of God, in this he who, in the he who of this verse, there was a love you can't calculate, a love and grace you cannot measure. It was a God who did not go, you can have a lot of things, I'll share some nice stuff with you, but not my son. Mm -mm. He who did not spare his own son, but the exact opposite of sparing her son. He didn't give you five-minute Jesus. He didn't give you push-start help through Jesus. He gave you Jesus. He gave you himself. He gave you his only son. He gave him up for us all. That gave him up where it is... It's tied up in a big bundle in the New Testament to betrayal and handed over. All those things you see in the passion story. And he was handed, I tell you this, the truth, the Son of Man will be handed over. That is given over, right, into the hands of wicked men who will beat him, mock him, and put him on a cross, right? And the Son of Man will be betrayed, into the hands of the chief priests, right? You hear that language, it's the same verb. God did not do one of these with his son, but he did the exact opposite. He released him to your worst. He so bound him to your need that Jesus could be handled and touched by every dirty, dark sinner's hands, all my worst. He would bring on himself as his own. He would consume all of our sins he, and all of the wrath that we deserved. Can you hear these words? This is the big switch. He didn't do one of these, uh, uh, I'll give you a lot, but not going to give you my son. In fact, he gave him up for us all. 
And the son willingly walked into Jerusalem and was tied up and bound and bled and died on a cross for us and rose again in life and victory. He who did that, the Apostle Paul says, is for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all things? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If LeBron James can dunk on a 10-foot hoop, do you think he could dunk on an 8-foot hoop? Uh, yeah. In fact, I might even be able to put one down on an 8-foot hoop, okay? Uh, maybe not. <laughs> I hope so. It's a greater to a lesser. If God did this without any hesitation with his son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Is God suddenly going to say, Oh, I'll give you my son unto death. He'll become obedient unto death. Take your sins even to the cross, but I'm not going to give you your daily bread. That's, I'm sorry, daily bread is, I'm going to keep that in heaven. That's not for you. No. You see where Paul is going? How will he not? How will he not? This is the confidence of a Christian. This is when we look at that babe in a manger, we see fullness of God given to us. We see this is, if, he, if he's going to give like that, how will he not give all the little things? How will he not take care of your tomorrow and your next year and bring you safely to his side in heaven? If, he if he's willing to fulfill this word that everybody said, I don't know if he'd really come himself. I don't know if he'd not only handle the Romans, but he'd also handle our sinfulness and, and defeat the devil and hell on our behalf. If he was so good, He's not going to change when it comes to handling a 24 hours tomorrow for you. But even then, you have to highlight the verb. He says he'll graciously give you all things. Don't take for granted the second half of the verse. Would you have been had happy with a Savior from your sins? And God didn't have to give you all things. But did you hear where God goes? As your slam dunk of faith. That not only is he going to give you the son and forgiveness and peace with God and eternal life and a place in heaven. But he is also going to graciously give you all things. He doesn't have to give you it all. But he does. What a verse. And brothers and sisters, this Christmas, it's time to get up above the clouds and see the fullness you have in your Savior. I get jealous of movies. I've said, I might have said this before already. I, the way they powerfully tell a story and put something visually, and you can spend two hours. You spend, we get one hour together and, you know, 20, 25 minutes of story time in the Word together. Two hours in this invested story, tugs on all of the emotions. It's this real life experience. And even if it's how to train your dragon, I can get sucked in. And 
we were re-watching How to Train Your Dragon. It's a great series. It's great storytelling. And after, what is it, Hiccup has kind of trained this dragon. There's this, this other girl his age. Is it Astrid? Am I getting this right, Elsie? And she, she kind of sneaks in to see what he's been up to out in the woods as he's trained this dragon. And um, she's kind of hard on Toothless the dragon in the beginning. So when they take her for a ride, Toothless is giving her the roller coaster version until she yields and says, I'm sorry that I, that I mistreated you before. She shows respect for the dragon. And then, and then Toothless relaxes. And with Hiccup and Astrid on his back, they fly. And they get up. And Astrid's jaw drops. And she lifts her hand up, and she runs her fingers through the clouds. And that's, that's when I tear up just watching a stinking movie. Because I'm like, that's not fair. It's not fair that they can tell such a powerful story of fingers in the clouds. And my God was born in Bethlehem for me and for you. I've never put my fingers in the clouds. My sins are forgiven. I have, I have peace with God all my days. And so do you. Merry Christmas.